Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Mama Hotline. Today, we're going to be discussing a very important topic of infertility, because this week is Infertility Awareness Week, and we want to bust through some taboos and open up this conversation to both people experiencing infertility and those who are supporting friends and loved ones who are experiencing infertility too. Yes, and we're hoping to chat about all the challenges and talk about all the support that's out there and the resources and help all the mamas get what they need to get through sometimes a very difficult journey. Yes, and we have a little bit of support on the show today to help us have this conversation. We have teamed up with Emily Getz on this episode of The Hotline. She is a fellow mama and the founder of Day One a platform and community dedicated to those navigating a challenging fertility journey. Hello, Emily. Hello. Hi. So excited to be here. Thank you for coming. We're really excited to have this conversation because as you know, taboos are actually our favorite because we love to bust them. It's our jam. Yes. I feel like I've come to the right place. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and you've also created the right place. So we're really excited to talk to you a bit more about day one and not just about infertility. But first, let's talk about what infertility is. Apparently, the definition as it stands is infertility refers to a lack of conception after a reasonable period of sexual intercourse without contraception one year for women who are under 35, and six months for women who are over 35. Do we agree on this definition? A reasonable period of course. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I would, I would love to know who wrote that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, do I just, that is not a, a good description of infertility, that's for sure. I mean, it's, it's so generalized. How can... Um, that's why we're in trouble today. That's that that definition is why we are where we are right now, in my opinion. And where do you think that we are right now in terms of this conversation? I think that we are dealing with um, uh, ever growing mental health situation where um, millions, over six million Canadians, are dealing with this every day in almost. We call it like a secret club. Um, it is a situation where people are truly struggling for multiple different reasons and reasons that are not rare, like are very rarely talked about um, alone. And um, and it's tricky because we're also pretty new. Like, I mean, medical intervention for fertility is only 40 years old. Like IVF mm-hmm. is only 40 years old. So it's a very interesting time where the demand um, – for building a family is high. Um, and it's even higher now because of the science behind it, you know, which is amazing with surrogacy and donorship and um, same-sex couples being able to build their family. Like all of this is amazing. It's just the demand is higher than the science. And so um, it is a lot of patient advocacy work that needs to be done. And it's also coupled in with shame and um and it's just very layered fertility. So having a definition so broad diminishes how intense the experience is. And it's an experience that a lot of people 
I was going to say relate to like, it's not a small portion of the population. 16% or one in six couples in Canada experience infertility, according to stats can. And that is a number that has doubled since the 1980s. So apparently three times out of 10, the cause is men, four times out of 10, the cause is women, two times out of 10, the cause is a mix of factors from both male and female partners. And one time out of 10, at first, no specific cause can be found. I guess that's the don 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 one. <laughs> that's the unknown. I don't know if you have the answer for this, but would you know why the number has doubled or why it's going up like infertility is bigger than it was before? Is there a reason for it? Uh, I mean, I... I have my, I mean, I have guesses to it. I'm not, it's funny. It's like with starting day one to, there's been a few people that are like, are you an expert? I'm like, I am not an expert. I'm someone that's going through infertility myself and building a brand in real time at the same time. So what I think is that, um, as I mentioned before, there are, and I don't even know if this is included necessarily in the stats, but there is more of an opportunity for people to be building their families like never before. But mm-hmm. also women are having children much later in their lives. So uh, there's a way bigger population that are having children over 35. And it is true that um, you know your egg quality does diminish after that um, age. There is a drop. Doesn't mean you can't have them. It just can pose more challenges. And also there's not as much um, there's no fertility health education. So people are, you know, missing their periods for years and years and not speaking about it, which actually can in- signify some fertility challenges that you can have. So there's this sort of gap now between the demand and um, the resources. So those among many that I am probably not calling out today uh, are the reasons why. Well, yeah, that's one of the things we learned when we had um, Dr. Lori Brado on the show before when we were doing a health initiative back in January um, with WHCC, which we're going to have her back to speak to this because she is an expert. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's one of the things she said too, is um, your highest fertility at the age is like 20 or something like that. But at that time, you're not really going to the doctor and having those conversations. So there's there's that issue there. And then, yeah, like you said, a lot of women are waiting longer. They're referred to ever so glamorously as geriatric pregnancies, um, which is so nice and kind. And and I also just want to add, I think, too, people are speaking about it more than they used to, you know, mm-hmm. right? So it was probably high, but no, no one was speaking about it. And that's why this number is probably even higher because um, then, then this this one in six, because a lot of people are still uncomfortable talking about it. And also the access to care is a huge, huge problem um, that also skews the stats, in my opinion. You know, like it is a privileged place to be able to do rounds of IVF. So, yeah, and also the access. So like, you know, somewhere in Saskatchewan, like they have one fertility clinic. And that could be two hours away from where you are. So it's it's really tricky to nail down the why and and the actual statistic here. Yeah. Well, and I think a really important piece of this conversation is the shame piece. Because, I mean, where do we think that shame comes from? Because I... I mean, we're a little bit of a different case because we love to talk about things that 
are for most people shrouded in shame and we like to blow that stuff out of the water. But for people, you know, does it come from societal expectations and how society values women and women's bodies for what it can produce? Is that kind of the stem of it? Or is it something that comes more from family structures? Like, what do you see coming up in your community in terms of the relationship between shame and infertility? I definitely think it's all of those things. Again, it's so layered. Um, It's a generational thing. You know, there's an expectation when you hit a certain age, why why don't you have children? You're dealing with a lot of those questions. I think it's really um, rooted in how you grew up, around what your education is around fertility. You know, I spoke with someone, it was so interesting, Christina Vero, um, who runs this support, these other support companies. And her dad was a IVF doctor, is a really like a renowned doctor here. And she grew up in an environment where she was like, I think having, getting pregnant unassisted is like a rare thing. So, mm. you know, she didn't grow up with that stigma. Um, at all. That's just not the household that she grew up in. So I think it's a combination of how you were raised, where you're working in the shame of like, I don't want to tell anyone because I don't want it to impact my career. And then it is um, feeling like nobody can relate. It's, It's a shame because no one's talking about it. So you feel super alone especially if you are surrounded by friends who are getting pregnant super easily. You feel like you can't really talk to them because how can they relate to you? And then you're kind of in the circle of shame and and isolation, really. Yeah. It's the thing too, it's like you don't know how to talk about it and there's this big misunderstanding about it with your support system, your friends and family, but also they don't know how to help you and how to talk to you about yes. it either. So there's like this huge disconnect. So I think, I mean, what we one of the questions we had for you, we'll just start firing them away. How can we better normalize these conversations? How can we make it easier on everyone to just be able to have them? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with education, really. If we can get to a place where people that are not going through infertility are educated around it, then they're set up in a space that can support people that are going through it. The thing about infertility is that because, to your point, it's not a conversation that is happening across the board, it severs you, kind of, like it puts you in a box. And I think that if government employers, um, you know, our generation starts to create a safe space and actually open up this as, you know, this is normal. Like building a family look really actually looks like this. It kind of will start to bring people out of the woodwork. You know, it's like people are hiding right now because there is not a safe environment in a society, in our society. So I think it sort of starts there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, I think it's, if you have someone in your life that is struggling, you need to get yourself not, I, 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 I always say dip your toe in, just dip your toe a little bit into resources, following a little bit around what infertility looks like. So then you can say to someone, look, like, I don't know what you're going through. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I want you to know, like I'm here. And I think it's that, I think 
people don't know what to say, so they're not saying anything at all. And that just creates this terrible cycle. So it's always better to just be like, I don't, I don't know what the hell you're going through, but I don't want you to go through it by yourself. And it's just these tiny micro conversations you can have with the people yeah. in your life. It's just acknowledging that, um, that will like crack, make a crack in um, the way people can deal with this emotional roller coaster. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we did for, we. well, that was what our goal was to do for motherhood anyway with the Rebel Mama because we couldn't believe how little people that didn't have kids knew about how hard parenthood was. So we were like, how do we make this cool and interesting for people that don't have kids so they stop treating moms and parents like shit? Parenthood is not relatable to non-parents. How do we change that, right? So I I see that that's what you're trying to do with day one. And we really respect that. And we appreciate it because we've struggled with supporting friends who are going through a fertility journey that looks different to ours. And, you know, we want to be there for people. We, you know, we're empaths. We feel our friends' pain and we want to be there for them as best as we can. But it's it's really difficult because you have to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. It's going through something that is very foreign to you. And you're right. The only way to do that is to somewhat educate yourself so you can have a somewhat level conversation, level playing field conversation with them about what they're going through, but it, the depths of it are so emotional. So what's been a, an example of a conversation that you've had that was really fulfilling with somebody who maybe didn't know exactly what you were going through, but really obviously wanted to be there for you? You know, my friends, I've been really, really fortunate. And to be fair, having day one and being so open about my own experience gives them a bit of a <laughs> Uh, you know, a leg up in the support department. But um, I have really great friends and a great, fa- like a great mom that basically is like, what, what do you need from me? Like, what mm-hmm. can I do for you? Because I, I just, I don't know. And I want you to know that I'm here. And I think it's taking some of the questions out of it. So I've, how do people ask me that? And it's like an open-ended question. It's like, what can I do? I'm like, I don't even know what you can do because I don't even know what to do. And my favorite little like nugget that someone sent to me in my recent loss that I posted on day one because I was like, this is the best text message I've ever gotten. And I think you can do this for anyone. It doesn't have to be fertility. Is She sent me this text message and it was multiple choice. And she was like, I am thinking about you and I love you and I don't – I want to support you. Here's literally – four options. And it was like, A, take you out for dinner. B, send you things to um, watch on TV. Like C, just support you from the sidelines. Like B, send you snacks. Like it was just so awesome. Yeah. Concrete options are good for anybody that's grieving. It's it's really, it's I really, know that it's tough when you say, let me know if I can help. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I also think it's like some of my most valuable conversations are people that have messaged me, like my best friends have messaged me out of the blue being like, hey, like I'm just checking on you. Yeah. You know, like I infertility is not, it is every, if someone is struggling with infertility, it's on their mind every single day. Like yeah. there are harder times when you're really in a cycle or when you've had a loss, obviously, but it is on your mind all the time until you have that baby 
it is consistent. It is taking up your mind share. So um, I'm like, holy shit, that's so nice that it's just a check-in. Like those tiny little things go so, so far. Um, I even had someone reach out on day one yesterday that was like, hey, like my best friend's going through this. Mother's Day is coming up. I usually don't even say anything to her because I don't want to upset her on Mother's Day. Like, how do Mm. I, what do I do? And I was like, oh, you say to her, I know this day is really hard for you. I'm here for you. It's like this acknowledging. Yeah. Acknowledging. And I think it's also kind of creating the safe space for that person to be able to be honest about their feelings, whatever they are. If they're, you know, having a particularly hard day and just, angry and they want to vent and sometimes the best thing to do is just sit and listen and you don't have to maybe necessarily give advice or or anything like that just being there your presence alone is like it's it's you're bang on and it's really hard to listen actually like that sounds don't know how to do it anymore yes (laughs) they don't and they want you i get it you want to offer help you want to offer solution but if you are Typically, if you have a if you have a family, if you have kids, you and you're talking to somebody that does not have kids and you've never dealt with this, don't give advice. It's gonna push yeah. them away. Mm-hmm. But you know, but it's listening is really hard. Like it just is hard. It's an easy thing to say, listen, but to listen and just say like that sucks and holy yeah, shit that's, and that's yeah. sometimes all it is right yeah. like you, you, you don't have a solution at the end of that conversation you're just there to listen and it it feels better for that person to be able to unload in a safe space mm-hmm. and not feel judged and and you know any of that so yeah I, think I read something the other day that was great that was like when you're having a, conver- a hard conversation with someone it's nice to take a pause and say like Am I listening or am I solving here? Like, what am I called into this conversation to do? Do you want me to just hear you out and sit here and be your support? Or are we like spitballing solutions here? What What yes. is your hope or expectation from this conversation? Which I just love. I feel like that's such a communication game changer. And I don't know if you've been listening to or watching Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart yes, stuff. Yes, I have that. Yeah. So great. And, you know, my biggest takeaway from that is the empathy piece of listening to people and like simply believing them. If somebody wants to tell you their story of a struggle, like your job is not to do anything but listen and then believe them. (laughs) And that's it. That's all it takes. So yeah, I think that, you know, as a whole, we all need to be focusing on how we can be better communicators and better friends. And I think those things are helpful. They're helpful and they're easy. They're not, you know, think people want to complicate it or yeah. not do anything at all. And like, I love that. I, a lot of my friends, I love that have been like, okay, before we start, like, what do you need from me? And I'm yeah. like, this. <laughs> yeah. Simple, very, yeah. very simple, straightforward. And it really helps the flow of the conversation. Well, speaking of conversation, we have some questions from our community about infertility and fertility and IVF that we thought we would throw your way. Bring it. Let's see if this can help anybody that's listening. So one person said, I am in search of books, blogs, social media, journal, positive affirmations, basically anything that is body positive, specifically looking for something to help after many years of infertility and a subsequent hysterectomy. I feel like my body has let me down. Uh, So mindset 
is a huge piece for me and what I advocate a ton on day one um, that's missing from the infertility like protocol, I like to say. I think when I hear this that like there's a lot that needs to happen actually in your mind first that's going to heal your body second. And so um, whether that is um, following some mindset coaches, I my coach is Catherine Ferguson. She talks a lot about mind-body connection. Um, there's, uh, you know, Rachel Melinda does a lot of intuitive body talk that's really powerful. Um, and I think it is really difficult because that narrative about letting your body, that your body has failed you, the word fail is so powerful. And um, I can relate to that. It's really tricky, but it starts in the mind before it starts in the body. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the other questions I had for you earlier too was how do you, like, sorry, we'll, we'll go back to the questions, but how do you take care of your mental health since you're talking about that? Like if you are going through something like this, how can you, like what are the steps, concrete steps you can take to bettering your mindset? Yeah. Like the first things you can do? Because I think that's really hard to pull yourself out of that. And it can get very dark very quickly. And then you have like COVID and the pandemic. Maybe you're stuck at home. Maybe you can't, you know, see as many people as you like. It's all just not helping. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's, it's sometimes infertility. Before I answer this, I just want to like preface and say, sometimes it's so dark, you just need to live in the dark. You know, you need to have some duvet mm-hmm. days. You need to have some doubt days. Like there's just you know, you need to be in it. You need to sleep it off. Um, when you're ready, you're kind of coming back to life after, you know, any news or results or whatever. Um, what's worked? Well, what's worked for me is I've I'm in a mindset program where I have worked really, really hard on changing the way I look at my fertility journey. Um, I think instead of allowing my fertility journey to take over my life, I've spent years of that. I kind of was over it, and I am. And day one is is you know a mission of day one is how do you integrate? How do you not allow your fertility to take over? And some things I do is, and this is actually a challenge we just did in our membership is um, every morning I would write out I trust the process. This is just one example, mm-hmm. but. I'm basically training my subconscious mind to believe, like wholeheartedly believe I'm exactly where I should be. And that, that this mm-hmm. is, and this is years of mindset work. So I can appreciate also that this might be like, what? But, um, <laughs> but I believe like sitting with you right now after all of the losses that I've gone through, I like, I believe I'm exactly where I should be. And I truly believe that I will have a second baby um, and letting go of the immense control and thinking that I actually have control over all of this has like awoken my sense of self. Um, And that goes like, so journaling has been a huge thing for me. Community, so you're not feeling alone is massive. Um, And I think really having somebody in your life, this is hold the space for you and hold your vision for you when you can't. Um, I've been in some pretty dark places and I have a few people that, you know, they're with me and they're like, I hold you, this is happening for you. 
I, you can't see this right now, but I can see this for you. And just having somebody put that energy out into the universe for me when I can't has been really important and has helped my my mental health because I feel like I, I'm not the only one that has to hold this for myself. And that's what it feels like sometimes, that you're the mm-hmm. only one on this planet. And um, I'm not – before fertility, like universe and spirit and all these things, just, it just wasn't kind of my jam. But you're kind of forced into it because you're creating life. Mm-hmm. And so um, for me, the biggest thing with my mental health has been – letting go, like really doing some work to let go that I don't have control and I need to allow the universe to do its job. I can do as much as I can and then let it go. And then I know I'm rambling, but the final thing I'll say is what joy is part of your protocol? (laughs) Like if you are having no joy, no fun in your life, Mm. you can't keep going. It's impossible. You have to fill your battery. Like this summer I have like 10 concerts coming up, you know, because I'm like, I need live music. It is a mental health thing for me. How could I keep going on this journey without that? That's just a me thing. But if you look at your life and there's no joy, that is a big red flag to me. I think that's a great tip. I think that's a really great tip. And I think that the community piece is obviously so important and it's totally revolutionized our motherhood journey to creating community. You know, if we're all in search of this village and sometimes the truth of the matter is that you have to build your own and amazing things happen when you do so I think it's great that you're doing what you're doing too but part of our village has to be our partners right and we've gotten a lot of questions in our community that involve fertility and partners so a big one is what can this guy do to support me in this? He doesn't understand. What can I tell him to say or do or not say? Specifically, that's one side of this question. And the other side of this question is how can couples keep their sexual lives strong or at least going while navigating fertility struggles and fertility treatments? Any uh. tips for couples, babe? <laughs> um, uh, I just, You're like, I- no, does anyone else have any tips? <laughs> <laughs> open to tips. Yeah. I'm like, uh, where's the sex ex- expert? No. Um, well, let me see if I can tackle the first question. Um, yes. How can a partner emotionally yeah. support you? So, what to say what not to say. Yeah. Um, this is the thing. Your partner is actually in this in the exact same place as you. It's just you f- you're feeling because it's happening in your body mm-hmm. that um, it's it's happening. You're doing more, which, which in some, which it, you are, which is true. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, which is true. Which is true. I'm not saying it's not true, but if you cut them out of the equation, they're out of the equation. So, you first and foremost, are you saying like, what's up with you? Like, how are you doing? You know, like bringing them into it versus like I'm going through versus me, me, me. I'm going through this. You're not saying this to me. You're not doing this. It's like. I really believe in this person's your best friend. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> you do not hate this person, remember? <laughs> remember, you know, your hormones are talking for you. Right. Um, That's an important piece to yes, keep in mind. Yes. Too. I think it's like really sitting down in like a neutral space and being like, okay, this sucks. This is screwing our relationship. 
I get it. Let's like lay some like ground rules together. It's not like you need to pull them in. And that's what's really worked for me and Ev. Like, you know, I, I'm i like, are you okay? Like, how are you doing? What can, what can I do for you? Which actually is, makes you feel like you're helping, like helping other people make you feel better. Yes. So what can you do? Like, if you can bring them in and not isolate them, you're actually isolating yourself less. Um, And it feels like a partnership. You know, you're having conversations together. So that's like the first thing I would do and do it in a fun space. Like, I don't know, go to a park, go for a walk, like do something outside your box. Like it's hard to have these conversations in your day-to-day routine. You're tired, you're over it. How do you have like a, let's kind of sit down and like talk this shit out when you're just over it. You need to kind of shake that up. So I'd say the environment in which you're having these conversations is really important. Um, me and Ev, like, I'm like, we need to go for a walk. He's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, no. This is really, really, yeah. This is really recent for me. We've never done walks before. Okay. And and I was like, this is, you know, let's just try. And we got a coffee and we kind of walked around the block. Like, it's just something we we typically don't do. Right. Um. And so that was really helpful. And I think it's also painting a picture. Like I'm on a million hormones. This is not me. This isn't the real me. I'm I'm struggling with my body. I'm struggling with who I am. I kind of need you to um, like, I, I kind of need you to give, give me a little bit of slack, a little bit more. Um, and whatever you like, like, you know, it would really help me. Like I said to Ev, I'm just using my own personal examples. Like I find for me, the house being clean has become a weird obsession for me during fertility because I feel like I don't have control anywhere else. Mm-hmm. That's how we manage to. <laughs> and it drives me like I can't. It's a coping, it's a coping mechanism, me- yeah. really. And so when he doesn't clean, it makes me feel like he's kind of like disrespect. Like he's not doing this on purpose, but like I. So I said to him, "Look, like I'm having." I don't know why the house just needs to be clean for me right now. Like it helps me with my anxiety. Like I really would appreciate like you doing the dishes before you go to sleep. Or if you see the house messy, like when I'm coming home, like I, that would be a huge help for me. I know it seems like it has nothing to do with fertility, but I'm telling you that it does. <laughs> but you have to articulate those things sometimes in the most basic terms, because unfortunately people can't read your mind. And sometimes your partner is like, okay, how do I help her? What does she need? Does she need a hug? And you're like, please clean yes. the fucking house. But you have to tell him that, right? Because they have no way of knowing. So I, I, I like um, kind of how the tips you're kind of giving of bridging that conversation and how to talk about it and the examples you're giving. And even the walks, like getting out of your house and walking, there is something to be said about walking and it kind of um, organizes things in your mind in a way. And you have the open space in the air and it mm-hmm. changes things, like the dynamic. Where when you're at home, you're like living yes. in it. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So how about the sex piece then? How are we, how is anybody having sex when they're going through this between the hormones? And enjoying yeah. It. Well, <laughs> exactly. And enjoying it is the, is, is the, the hard part. Thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm like, uh, <laughs> uh, this is the thing. It's, it's, it's hard because sex, it also becomes like a mission. Like me and Eva, have, I mean, I'm trying to be like, when have we had sex not to have a baby? So it's really that that part of it I can I can relate to. I think the truth is, if you are in the midst of an IVF cycle, you're not having sex. So 
um, what else can you be doing to like ignite the intimacy? So I think there needs to be, um, I think changing the conversation from sex to the word intimacy is really helpful. Mm. So um, maybe sex isn't on the table, but what can you do from an, int- to an intimacy standpoint? Is it, again, like concerts, I, it's just an example for me because I'm a huge music head, but me and I fell in love going to concerts. That's where mm. our mm. our intimacy is there. We hold hands, you know, we get beers, like there's like that connection there. And so I'm like, we're booking a ton of concerts because our sex life isn't as active as it is, but I get, we get off by, by having those touching moments together. It kind of sustains us. So um, I think it's not letting go of the intimacy um, would be my first sort of piece of advice. And then from the sex thing, like, just do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, if you're tired and and you have a moment in your fertility journey where you're not getting monitored, where you know it's safe, where, you know, it's almost, it's almost just getting like, it's not, while you're having sex, you're like, this is great. Why aren't we having sex more? It's the, it's the, it's like working it's out, like working you know? out, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like you're like, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to put my stuff on. You know? But then you're done the work and you're like, that's freaking awesome. Like sometimes I'm like, you just do it. Don't think too hard about it. Don't overanalyze it. Do it. And then um, I, me and Ev also watched, there's like on um, Masterclass, there's like a sex expert. I forget her name. Her name's Emily. <laughs> and oh. yeah, funny. Indeed. And she said, like, schedule it. And it, it, she's like, you know, I know it doesn't sound sexy, but that's just the world in which we live. Like, say, like, you know, we're going to do this, whether we're tired or we're not. And do it. Like just kind of pull up your big girl pants or pull them down and do yeah. it. <laughs> pull down a big girl. Well, you know what? Dr. Brado, when she was on the show, anybody listening to this episode should also go back and listen a few episodes back to our What's Up With Fertility episode with Dr. Lori Brado. She's a leading research expert on the topic and she's also an expert on all things sex. And she had very similar advice. Like, it is not not sexy to plan sex. It is realistic. You plan all the other things that you like to do and you make time for those things. So sex should be no different. But I also love what you said about reframing the conversation about more about intimacy than about sex because I relate to, like, you know, when hormones are going crazy, it's like you lose a lot of control of your life. And I can attest to that for, you know, a long time after I gave birth, I was so disinterested in having sex, but I was still interested in intimacy. Yeah. And it kind of like kept us close enough that we could get through that time and then get back to a more normal sex life after. But I think, you know, once again, it boils down to communication and talking to your partner. And as you said, like they're in on this too. They probably really especially don't feel like it now that the appointments are, you know, I hope that the COVID restrictions have let up and you're allowed to have a partner come with you for appointment. It's still the same. It's still the same. That breaks my heart because nobody should have to do that alone. That it breaks my heart that women are going in for these kinds of appointments. And especially for like, if they're experiencing a loss, it's just, it does not feel humane. They let Evan in for our re- our recent DNC. They okay, let good. Evan in, and so that was great. Anything else, retrievals, transfers, they're not in. But I'll just say this: like, um, 
think about as women how hard it is for us to find a community and talk about this. Men are not doing it at all. They are living in their head. They're not going for beers talking about their infertility problems. You know what I mean? Like that's just not happening. So they totally should be, but yeah, they 100% should be. But (laughs) actually, we did an episode where Evan has taken over the day one podcast and has been talking to some of his friends that have gone through fertility, which has been really cool. We just did one episode a few months ago and he's going to be doing another one. But amazing. But in general, like they're not doing that, right? So you got it. It, it is so freaking – I always like struggle with being like, it's great. It's exciting when I talk about fertility. But when you are like, oh, dude, I can help my partner. Like I can be there for him. It's like you kind of want that because you feel like everyone's trying to be there for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, let's – I want to talk more about day one, but let's just pause quickly for a little commercial break. And we'll be right back to talk more about how you are using day one to address these issues. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Rebel Mama Merch. Happy face toques in neon green and light pink. Cozy sweaters in muted pastels with red embroidery. Vital addition to any work from home matriarch's wardrobe. Choose between Rebel Mama and Mommy Group Dropout, or better yet, don't choose at all and get both. All Rebel Mama merch was just marked down to 30% off, so head to therebelmama.com slash merch to make your purchase. Okay, we're back with Emily from Day One Fertility, and we wanted to ask you about your story now. Now it's your time to share your story, babe. So if you would um, tell our audience why you started day one, how you started it, what was the, you know, the reasoning behind that or the void, I guess, that you were trying. And what does it do? What does it do? Yes. Uh, I mean, I I think I'll give the Coles notes because I feel like our conversation has just been so powerful in terms of, you know, just talking about this in infertility as a whole, I if you go and you follow day one, you can kind of get the the full Emily fertility journey <laughs> layout. But basically, you know, I have his four and a half year old son at home, and um, we were someone that got pregnant really easily. I never, ever, ever even considered the fact that we couldn't get pregnant or that there could be fertility challenges, and. I like truthfully, like, I don't even know if I really knew how baby was being like was actually being made inside of me. Like I just was like, cool, we'll have sex and have a baby, and that's what happened. Um, I feel like I didn't, I didn't know that either. I didn't know anything. Like, both of us really, we just got pregnant. We we're like, oh, okay, we're gonna do this, and it was yeah, exactly, by this exactly. Um, and not no GPs, no employers, no podcast, nothing like educated me to think otherwise. Um, and we we got pregnant, had a great pregnancy, have an amazing, awesome son. Two years later, the typical two-year gap that the society has decided should mm-hmm. be the gap. Mm-hmm. And that could be an entire episode I could talk in length about. <laughs> we had uh, – uh, we, we got pregnant again super easily. And at six months, my water broke. And that sort of – we ended up losing, um, we named her Ruby, and we ended up losing Ruby at six months pregnant in 2019. And that was really the sort of the beginning of this entire story. Although um, after grieving and that traumatic experience, 
in the back of my mind, I still was like, well, when we're ready to get pregnant, we're just going to get pregnant. Like I never, even in that, I still wasn't educated that we should get things checked out, which is bananas. But um, yeah, in, in, we tried for a year, um, not, didn't get pregnant. And to the stat that we talked about, ding, ding, ding. I didn't get pregnant for the for a year. So now it's time for me to look, which is not the case. Right. And, um, you know, I got my fertility checked and there wasn't, you know, and I don't want to get into it because um, it's so complicated, but I, every, every woman is born with, or anyone that's born with ovaries is always born with the amount of eggs they'll have for the rest of their life. And some people are born with a lot of eggs. Some people are born with less amount of eggs. And I just am someone who's born with less eggs. doesn't mean I can't have a baby, obviously, um, but it just means my timing might be shorter. And then when you're having a baby after 35 and you don't have as many eggs, the quality is going down. It just gets a bit harder. doesn't mean it's not possible. It just get harder. But this is all things I've only learned now after an IUI and three rounds of IVF in 2021. Um, and that's sort of where where I was. Day day one kind of came in to play um, after my first round of IVF back in 2021 when I got pregnant, but um, it was an ectopic. So the pregnancy actually, which it's just it's just when you I look back, I'm like, there's just no education. I mean, I was in a fertility clinic with I still didn't understand what I'm talking to you about right now. Mm. Um but it grew in my tube. And so I had to get emergency surgery. They removed my right tube. And at the hospital, they were like, no problem. This isn't going to impact your fertility, which it does. Um, and yeah. Because yeah, you lost a tube. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> obviously, it is impacting my fertility. Like, oh my But God. this is how naive I was. I was like, great. <laughs> this yeah. doctor who I should be trusting is telling me this. Yeah. Oh, no. You got to be your own little advocate there. So hard. It's so hard. You're so vulnerable. You know, you're, you're like, you don't want to not hear that as the truth. It's, it's really so layered, um, in fertility. It's such a physical, emotional, financial, it's like, it checks all the boxes. Um, but day one came into play as totally like, there's just nothing. I just couldn't find anything relatable. And I know you guys can, can agree. Like it's, things are out there, but you're like, I just, it's not me, you know, Mm -hmm. like I don't want to follow these people. It wasn't speaking your language, I guess. right? Yeah. And I'm like, well, why can't I do this? And then it was kind of the coming out party for me of like, hi world, like we're struggling. (laughs) Um, (laughs) People need to know. Yeah. And it was just off the side of my desk. I was working corporate and um, doing these episodes and going through my own journey. Like, we did two more rounds of IVF that year while I was producing the podcast and creating day one. And, um, which I think is, is a, I think a reason people tune in is because I'm right there with you, you know, I'm, and, and that's where you find me today. We actually stopped IVF in December because our doctor was like, you know, I don't, I actually don't think this is working for you guys. I think it works better when you try unassisted. I'm like, cool. Right. Yeah, so Glad we did that. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for my hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's so expensive. It's like there's so many people don't even have access. It's, it's to so stuff privileged. Like it's yeah. so privileged. Um, 
but but I, you know this is the thing and there's a lot of people in my community that say like well what a waste of a few years i wish i knew that i wish they caught this i wish i and it's just like that doesn't serve you and you have to go through each step it sucks but you just you have to keep going through each step to to get to where you're supposed to be and this was just what we were supposed to go through unfortunately and or fortunately because i feel like day 1 would only be here if i when I'm going through what I've been going through. And um, we got pregnant. We got pregnant in January, um, just like monitoring my ovulation. And um, and yeah, we, we lost it at eight weeks. We lost the heartbeat at eight weeks. Oh. And you guys, yeah, it was really I, – I actually posted a video on, on my Instagram. I documented kind of the whole thing. And it was – it was excruciating. It was probably our hardest – I always say it was like our hardest loss because – like obviously Ruby was really hard in a totally different way, but I thought we could get pregnant. This was like, oh my God, I'm this hope story. I've gone through all of this loss and look like we got pregnant. Like it was just the walls coming down. Oh my God. I can, I, yeah, I can yeah. only imagine. I'm so sorry. That's fucking terrible. Fucking terrible. Um, but, uh, but it, like, again, it's just, I really believe I'm where I'm supposed to be. And um, and yeah, day one is sort of, I'm building day one while I'm building my family. Yeah. You know, and um, and since, since September, I quit my job. And now this is like a full-time, full-on, like let's let's build this shit, you know, let's let's build something that people need that I need in real time. Yeah. Um, and and fill this gap. And that's what day one is doing. Like we have launched a membership program. Um, this is something that doesn't exist in Canada at all, this type of a support program. Um, and we have a marketplace which I freaking love. We offer like same kind of same, same vibe as you guys, you know, it's like there's what can we do that's cool that supports infertility, but not in like a like I'm just not a rainbow and sunshine type of person. Yeah. Um, and so there's cards there. There's these like really awesome bracelets um, that are there. That um, and then and then we have this amazing community. So it's just this like brand and business and company that I'm so proud of. Uh, someone once said to me, they're like, "It's the baby that you have birthed." through your infertility day one. And that's how I look at it. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's a really, that's a good way to look at that because I would agree with that too. And I think that what you're doing is so important and I hope that you continue on doing it. I wish you nothing but the best of luck in your fertility journey, but I really hope that you continue to be there for other women in this way. Cause it's, it's a really beautiful thing that you're doing. Thank you. That's so helpful, yeah. right? No, yeah. I really appreciate yeah. that. Yep. That's, that's the plan. I mean, it gives, it gives all of this purpose for me. Um, yes. it, it makes me be like, oh, this is why this has happened. And, and, you know, everyone chooses their why, right? This is, it's not the truth. That might not be someone else's thought or reality or their reasoning for their story, but I always say like you have a choice on how you want to think about your situation. You have a choice of what meaning you want to put on to something. Mm -hmm. And these are just these are thoughts, these are choices that I've made that serve me. And so that's sort of that is my key to every single loss is choosing the meaning that serves me, not the other way around. Brilliant. 
So can you, can you tell everyone where they can find you? So just we can get your website and your socials out there for yeah. everyone to follow. Yeah. Um, the best place where most of my content is currently is Instagram, which is at day one fertility. And then uh, the website, which is day one fertility.com. Amazing. And the podcast, where can people listen to that? Anywhere you listen to your podcast, day one podcast, you can just search it in there. Okay. So jump on over to that after this episode, after you listen to this one. Yeah. Well, Emily, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. We appreciate it and respect it so much. And let us know if we can help support in any way. We are here for you too, because we just... We want to support anybody that's trying to take down any taboos. So you let us know what we can do for you. Thank you. I mean, just having me on has been so awesome. And I'm just, I'm very grateful to both of you for using your platform to shed light on this. So I'm just, thank you. Our pleasure. All right, all. Well, that's it for this episode of the Rebel Mama Hotline. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. And make sure you go and give Emily a follow over at day one as well. We will see you next time. Bye. The song you're listening to is called Name and Number off the debut album Unrequited by Roshan. Stream it now on Apple Music.